0: Let me talk you through the two most emotional stressful months of my sales career.
1: It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I wanna talk
0: You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to
1: happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you you get given a hand of cards and, like, you have to do the best with what you have. Someone might have been watching watching down on me.
0: Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better at. This is No Big Deal, the sales podcast. Welcome back to series two of the No Big Deal podcast. And again, we are really excited to welcome our next guest, Brian Dolan Onto No Big Deal. Brian has an incredibly impressive track record at some of SAS's biggest success stories LinkedIn, Slack, Remote, and now ClickUp. At LinkedIn, he was the number one EMEA rep for 2018. He hit three years of back to back club quota attainment at Slack. And in 2022, he is annual, annual quota in five months into the financial year. He also closed Slack's largest deal in a mere history in May 2021 at over $3 million. We might hear more about that later. <laughs> and in 2023, he was the number one AE out of eight UK&I enterprise AEs, having the highest dollar value closed and highest percentage attainment. He's hit his target for this year at ClickUp and we go, we'll go be going to another president's club in one of the hardest markets to sell, Brian. Big dealer, Nolan. Thanks for joining. <laughs> nice,
2: nice to on, Brian. On yeah, Brian, you're like the Nicholas Anelka of Sass, who's played, played at every glamorous club there is to play at. And yeah, or,
1: or maybe Ibrahimovic.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Brian Ibrahimovic, Nolan. <laughs>
2: nice. Um uh, Thanks for joining us, Brian. I've got just a, a question to kick us off. We're going to talk about the deal. In a moment but can we just ask because you've obviously got a a bit of a penchant for um being in in good spots can you give us a bit of an insight into kind of what you look for and how you make sure that you're in a place that not only the business is going to be successful and that you're going to be successful as well
1: yeah um i suppose with my well i mean i have a background in recruitment first of all so that's kind of where I, i started my sales career and i i think that kind of eye for maybe a you know being in the right place at the right time never really left me um so I, there's also a combination of experience and mistakes kind of thrown in there as well right so i would have joined maybe a couple of places where early days it would have been quite difficult so then you kind of try to avoid that moving forward and really qualify roles right um for me like if i was to to look at a new role tomorrow right the things that i'd be i'd be focusing on um would be like like just really heavily qualifying the role obviously you at the start of the process you're kind of making sure that you're putting the best foot forward but towards the end you really need to make sure that you're going into the right the right place at the right time so i think like you know the what does the what, what does the quotas look like um what does the comp plan look like for me one thing i learned i think that that was a really important lesson was what what's your brand actually coming into that company because If you're in your current company and you're a top performer you kind of get the impression that you're just going to walk into another company and everyone's just going to know you know they're going to know you and they're going to be like oh yeah you know we'll give him this account um he'll he'll be safe pair of hands to look after that but then you get in there your new manager has hired four people from his old company or her old company and then you're thinking okay well how am i going to get a look in here do you know so i i think that's really important another one i think Typically, with these interview processes, towards the end, they might let you speak to an AE who's currently in role. I've found from experience that that person is normally prepped and, and will be told to sell you the role. What I think is a much better avenue to qualify the role is to actually just speak to the person who's left the role. Do you know uh, what was their reason for it? Maybe, you know, maybe just the location wasn't working and they were really happy, but they needed they needed to move up home. Or, but there could be something you know, a skeleton in the closet there that you're much happier knowing before you join the company. Um, and then you can kind of make an informed decision. Uh, I think, you know, being, being really diligent as well around what do the accelerators look like? What does your ramp schedule look like? Um, to, you know, I'd say to the hiring manager, tell me about the team at the moment, like what percentage are hitting quota? Okay, out of the people who are hitting quota, what are, what is their attainment? um why why for instance are you folks making this higher like you could fall into the trap where you come in and and they're saying oh well this AE and this patch last year done you know 400 percent you're like oh wow great I'll go in there and I'll I'll do 500 percent and then then you get in and you realize they've hired 10 people into that same territory and your opportunity is is much more limited and potentially that is holdover accounts and it's, it's difficult. So I think it's just important to just ask all those questions at the start before, before you get into the role, get as much detail as possible. And then you're coming in and you're fully informed, you've made your decision and everything should be running quite smoothly. A seriously, good um, bit of advice. Do you ever ask about, do you ever
2: ask when you're going through the, the qualification process of the role, do you ever ask about how they sell or how the market receives the way they sell? For example like any sort of like methodologies they use or qualification processes or for example how receptive the market is to the brand or do you just use the past success as an indication or indication of the fact that you're you'll adapt to the way they sell and go from there
1: for me i think yeah it's it's very much around you see you could have like the best product market fit in the world you know but if if your territory isn't carved in the in the correct way you're yeah. still not going to get there. Do you know yeah. so i think for me it is just more important to, to to back the numbers on this to be like you know okay my target's going to be 1.2 million what was closed in that particular territory last year if it's four million and now there's four reps going into this territory this year i'm like okay this is this this could work for me but it could be a very flashy product um could be an excellent product market fit but if somebody else has 90 percent of the good accounts in the territory it's going to be very difficult now some areas I would focus on. I mean, obviously, it is important to have a product market fit. You know, um, one thing I think that I've I've missed in the past, but I've definitely learned is very important is what what competitors do you have that you know are you are you the the leader in the market or are you the person who's coming in to try and kind of test that leader and see if you can make space in that market? That can be huge. You know, um, everyone. Everyone always presumes, yeah, obviously you're gonna have five or six competitors no matter what SaaS platform you're really selling. Uh, but it's like, what do those competitors actually look like? Go to their websites, be like, if I was a buyer, what does this look like in comparison to the company that I'm about to join? You know, Or oh, they offer seven enterprise features that we don't have. Start thinking about having those conversations before you even get into the role and being like, will I really be able to defend my this product that I'm about to join against this product? What's their market share? What do they look like online? What's their stock price? All these things I think is are really important because, you know, you can like for instance, we would have competed against Microsoft back when I was in Slack and we had an amazing product, but sometimes you'd go in to speak to a company that were fully on the Microsoft suite for the last 20 years and their executives and the Microsoft executives were for dinner, you know, four times a year for, for the last five years. Um, that's very difficult, Mm. you know, to, to break through. So it's like you can get, you know, complete. You can get very excited and be like, there's a great team in here. This is a great product. Um, we have a great product market fit, but you know, when you actually start to look at that market a bit more and start to look at the competitors, you need to realize what you're up against. Um, with Slack, obviously it went on to be an incredibly successful platform, but it did take a lot of work to really break into that market.
2: A seriously, seriously good bit of information and good bit of learning there. Like we've all probably made those decisions and we've all been like wide eyed and been like that. This is great. I've heard such great things, blah, blah, blah. You really don't know until you get under the bonnet of it. Um, Brian, thank you very much. Jack, have you got any other comments on that? No,
0: that's really good. I was actually just thinking outside of just individual like quota attainment and things like that. Are there just some straight up full you wouldn't even warrant a conversation with a company unless they had these three criteria.
1: Yeah, I think um product market fit is is an absolutely huge one. Um I, I think also leadership is absolutely vital. Like you need to look at the leadership and think, do I aspire to be that person or that other person in the next three to five years do you know because if you don't you're not really going to learn anything from from that leadership and at the end of the day you're they're the people that are going to plan for you know 2024 2025 so if you don't back them um you could get very frustrated quite quickly so i think Mm -hmm. product market fit the leadership and probably the team around you as well so it's like for instance especially in enterprise it's like I'd I'd love to meet the solutions engineer beforehand that you're going to be working with. I'd love to meet the CSM, like the, the leaders, back to the leadership and and it kind of links into the team here as well. You need to have good leadership because that's also part of your selling team, right? Because you're going to have to map your executives with the executives in the companies that you're going to try to get your, your solution into. So if, if, if you don't get a good feeling about them, you're not going to feel comfortable with them as part of of your army really do you know uh so i think that they will be the three things it's the leadership product market fit and what your team would actually look like banging
2: great very advice. nice yeah, great into. advice that's a really good way for us to go now into this deal because obviously you've used all of that bit of prehistoric due diligence to work out you're in the right place at the right time and now you're going to use that army so go to war shall we say um Brian, can I ask a quick question? We have a lot of guests who come on and tell us about either the, the biggest deal they've ever closed or the one that was like the biggest learning or the one that was like most transformative in their career or a number of those different things tied together. Tell us this deal. Is
1: it one of those? Is it two of those or, or which is it? This is probably the the most transformative I had just because there's a lot of learnings on this about kind of bringing in the, t- bringing in the entire company basically to the deal and kind of making your own look a little bit in it as well. Um, so yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that this is probably the, the most transformative one I've had. Um, weirdly not the one that's made me the happiest, but, but like I felt it was a bit of a comedown actually after I closed it, which I, I can talk about later. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one is, this one's definitely the most transformative. Sick. Tell us how did you get, how did it
2: come to life? How did it get started? Where did it, where was like the conception of this deal?
1: Yeah. So uh, basically, this company—it's an e-commerce company—and they have about, at the time, they had five thousand full-time employees and then about four thousand contractors, which we actually weren't aware of at the, the start. Right? So, look—it's a Slack was the company I was working on at the time. It's PLG, and um, so product-led growth, and really, you know, they they had went through that freemium model, and there was like use cases building across. Maybe like two thousand users or something like that. Um, but it it they had been on that then for maybe two or three years, right? So the difficulty at that time was the only really what, the only way to really upgrade these people uh, or companies like this would be through security upgrade. Um, and it's a very, very difficult discussion because obviously the price and tiers go way up. We were trying to basically go wall to wall. So get the footprint of 2,000 people to 5,000 and then upgrade them to what was our, enterprise, our enterprise-grade platform. By the way,
2: what you just said there about product-led growth is really interesting. because so we haven't had anybody on here who's told us about a deal where it's product-led growth before because most people have either gone outbound or had an introduction directly to a CEO to keep the deal off from zero. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about how well actually just kick off where you left off about why the product-led growth part made this a bit different kind of inception to the deal
1: yeah so the deal i want to talk about um look it was with an e-commerce company they had five thousand full-time employees and then four thousand contractors which we actually didn't know about at the time um they had a couple of thousand users so they would have actually it's a product-led growth company slack so they would have came in through the freemium model they'd like developed a couple of use cases and they've been Kicking around for like two or three years, kind of half considering a upgrade to like our enterprise platform. Basically, the problem was all we ever really had was a security based evaluation, which is quite tricky, right? Because the, the company is always going to come to you and say, you know, what? like you're obviously like this security is is urgent. You, you need it. Um, it's you're growing to like an enterprise level. So, you know, you need these admin p- permissions or, you know, um, DLP or whatever. But then the company's rebuttal is always, well, I mean, we've had it for two or three years and it's Mm. been fine. So like, what's really the urgency here? And I realized actually, you know, through my years at Slack that there was kind of a sweet spot to bring customers up to this enterprise grid product. And that was you needed to, the strategy I had was security aside, how do we build a business case to actually upgrade? this customer right um do they actually really need it if we take security out of the equation at the start of this we just did not have that answer like really it was very security driven and yeah it was it it got to the point where we actually i just decided to qualify it out like we were working with a champion um she was really really helpful uh really responsive was definitely intent Intending on making the right introductions, but they weren't really happening. And I was, I was kind of thinking, is this a coach? Is this a champion? Like at the end, we actually realized it was a champion. But I, I just, it got to the point where we're investing so much resources into this account, and it kind of kicked from quarter to quarter. So I just got in touch with the champion and I said, I, and I shared, like, I'd done out a full medic doc, um, and I actually shared the medic doc with the champion, and I said full transparency, this is how we operate, right? I need this doc completely filled out in detail to allow a further allocation of resources for my solutions engineer, for my CSM, for everyone who was working on the account. I was like, if we can't, and I I literally just had open spaces on like economic buyer and stuff like this. And I was like, I just wrote in gapped here. And yeah, basically I was like, we we can't continue with the evaluation if we don't get access and a meeting with this economic buyer and we don't have like, metrics around these particular pain points and the champion just wasn't able to deliver on that so we we just said look let's just let's just leave it for now Do you know brian even if at that point that
0: contact had introduced you into the economic buyer you wouldn't have had a business case or point of view strong enough to deliver value and you might have just burnt your entire shot at that
1: point i i'd absolutely agree with that yeah i'd absolutely agree because we would have went to the economic buyer with the exact same business case that had kind of failed us to get to the economic (laughs) buyer in the the first place. Um, And actually something I I learned from that, um, and I think it is really important, often when you're doing medic, you know, or, you know, I'm sure you've all been in deal reviews on like a Thursday or Friday in the company. Everyone kind of hops on and has a look at the deal. Like when people go through it, they're often like, oh, you can, who's the economic buyer and the person will be like, Oh, I found them on LinkedIn. It's this person. Yeah. So what you do really well in, in Slack and in ClickUp is if you, if basically they were like, who's the economic buyer? And you'd say, it's this person. And they'd be like, right. Have you had a meeting with the economic buyer or have you like, are you in contact with this person? And if you say no, they're like, well then you don't have the economic buyer. Like you can, you can't just write their name in and be like, I have an economic buyer. Mm-hmm. Do you know so <laughs> Um, yes. And, and look, so, so did I as well. Do you know, um, but after a couple of those meetings, you're like, you know, they're right. Like, we don't have an economic buyer here. They know nothing about this platform. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that that was, it was closed. Look, it was difficult to close it off. But I was like, what's the point of having this in my pipeline? Like, uh, I always feel that it's best to just get it out. Like, if it's not, yeah. I think uh, an old manager said to me before, you're, your pipeline's like your wardrobe, right? If you if you don't plan on wearing something again, just throw it out. Like, what what's it doing in the wardrobe? If if you know, it's just taking up space. So it's like being really diligent. Um, and then the 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 way we reignited it was actually um, like thinking back. It was it was amazing that the deal came so far from this. But uh, the so their CEO and our CEO were meant to go to an event in Stockholm. Um, it was called Bits and Pretzels and did you plan that meeting they were just both there as speakers oh right? wow. yeah and uh so then the the event the pandemic kicked off the event didn't happen um but one benefit of the pandemic was uh, like if you wanted executives to meet you know you'd have to ask ceo of slack for to fly over from the u.s it's like two days of his time to meet this person for like you know, 30 minutes or whatever. And meet, just executives meeting on Zoom back then wasn't normal. Like when I joined Slack, you know, you were flying around the place all the time. If you had to go to Stockholm and if any, any meeting you had to do, you were like taking half your day to fly over and come back. So I was I was thinking, okay, well, look, like this has kind of failed because we have bottom up, but we don't really have any top down eyes on this deal, right? And with Slack specifically and, and that enter, enterprise grid product, it's a vision sell right it's it's a three to five year vision like this is the infrastructure we're going to build and then your company is going to plug into that infrastructure and then your capab these capabilities will be unlocked the problem is when you're dealing with your champion who's just the end user they're not thinking in three to five years do you know they're just thinking i like i like the way it's working at the moment i'm so busy kind of working through these tasks or i'm so busy communicating these channels it's obviously very helpful but you know, they're, it's just, they're just not getting the vision play, right? So
2: I'll just uh, butt in quickly, Brian, sorry, I'm gonna hold that point about vision. When people are finding champions in enterprise accounts, often it's really hard to find just the persona who has this as a project for them. Somebody who's going to manage like the delivery of this project. And something like Slack is quite ambiguous, even more so than other, like, say you said in Salesforce, it's going to be. One of the heads of sales, a CRO, or somebody who's like CRM admin director in IT out there is their title. But like a communication platform like Slack, how does a champion surface themselves, or how do you qualify them as a champion, and and also make sure that person has sort of like credibility and authority internally?
1: Yeah, I mean it's difficult. Like typically they would be like the primary owner or something like that. So you'd like what was really useful in these PLG companies, and it's still the same with, with ClickHub, Is you can often see. The people who are inviting other people onto the platform on the back end it, it. but then it, it mightn't be the primary primary owner but it, they might have like seven admins and you're like well oh, this person has invited thirteen people in the last week you're like this this person's really pushing this platform Yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of the best way to identify them but then you're right then you have that other challenge of being like yes this person is completely like fighting our case in the business and as they say about the champions like selling on our behalf when we're not there do you know so like they're doing that great work, but often they're just too busy. Do you know mm. to, to really grab the reins and like drive it forward? Like, you know, it, if you invite somebody onto Slack or ClickUp or or something like this, they, they might need three or four hours training, and your champion can't do that with everyone. Do you know? Yeah. Um, so then it's like, how how do you get the executives involved so that this becomes an initiative? Do you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Some structure in place around that. How um, did you, Brian? Yeah, yeah seriously. So yeah, <laughs> tactically, how did you do that? Yeah, so so that event anyway um, was was meant to happen, was canceled because of the pandemic. And then I said, well, look, I was like, these these two guys, my, our CEO and their CEO could have just met in the hallway. They could have just sat down and had a coffee, right? So I was like, do you know what? I'll I'll, I'll put an email together for my CEO to send and I'll say, hey, I know you were at the event. Uh, we were meant to be at the event. I was actually looking forward to seeing you. I'd love to have a chat um this company were were starting to go public um and getting ready at the time and slack had just kind of been through that so i was like look this could be like a really good conversation for 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 them to have um so we recreated that kind of serendipitous meeting in in the hallway and yeah they hopped on zoom for for a half an hour i wasn't on it because they were like Probably talking about some pretty private stuff, so I just didn't want to interfere, and I was like, it's just going to work better rather than kind of me sitting there and you know introducing myself and then trying to move the conversation over and back. I just felt it would be a bit more organic. So came off that call. So the CEO didn't know anything about Slack before this, um, and then the next, the follow up was he he asked his executive team, so his entire C suite, to come on and do a Slack for executive session with somebody from our side, right? So we got our CFO at the time, um, because a lot of the work in terms of how we got ready to be a public company happened in Slack, right? So they would have spoke with a lot of investors through like uh, Slack Connect channels and things like this. So then they ran a session in terms of how that infrastructure will be built. And then after that, I was like, okay, we're really onto something here because the, the executives, because obviously they're in these meetings constantly thinking about what what three to five years looks like, and, and they can just enable teams across the business to be like, you need to look after this initiative. Now, they got very excited about what they've seen. And I was like, now we can start looking at, we can actually start to have the conversation around what are your strategic initiatives and how this maps to it, right? because You always
0: tied in then look how easily you can communicate as an executive leadership team on slack imagine the value if you do all of these initiatives all of these projects across the rest of the business and obviously all the executives think Shit. yeah yeah the
2: execution of all of those initiatives in, in, immediately goes up
0: and i think brian as well like you know that's best case scenario having that as your like proof of value and you know you did really well to tie that draft and bar- behalf from your CEO to their CEO to then get that meeting, like, and, and, and I presume, was there actually, Brian, any form of initiative that the C-suite on their side were talking about to try and drive efficiency across the executive leadership team, or did this spark the initiative?
1: It was a combination of, of a couple of things, like, and, and there's one thing I want to touch on there as well. Um, that I think this, the mistake I often have fallen into in the past is, People, you know, through your coaching, people are like, you get your champion and then you start to ask them what the strategic initiatives are. Right. But <clears throat> the champion often doesn't think about the strategic initiatives. So you're like trying to tie the product to strategic initiatives when you're working with somebody who just uses the product day to day. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not it, it kind of doesn't match. But I felt when we elevated the conversation, and we started speaking to these executives about what their mm-hmm. strategic initiatives were. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've no problem telling you because they, yeah. they're in the meetings. like They, they know what's being discussed. Um, and the, the key strategic initiative which absolutely blew open the deal for us was um, basically this particular company had proven to their investors. So again, this is during their public readiness. Uh, they'd proven to investors that they could gain market share, right? But they hadn't proven to the investors that they could retain market share. And there was a lot of competitors coming into what was a quite new space, and the investors had concerns over it, right? So when I started to think about that, um, we started to dig into, okay well, like what what does your retention look like? like what's your retention strategy at the moment? How do you keep customers satisfied? How do you keep customers referring your product to other customers so that you can build that consumer network because that's mm. what's going to be the retention, that's what's going to fend off the competition. And then they started talking about this um, customer experience division. And I was like, well, who runs this? Like, we, we've never heard about this. So they introduced us to the head of engineering who runs 4,000 contractors um, Who and their main focus was for customer experience. So they were going to be the face of this particular organization to the market. Now, the key thing about this is there was a shift. So we've we, done like four hours of discovery with this head of engineer, right? And there was what we realized is that there was a shift away in their ticket and management system from just the speed and the, the volume of tickets resolved to getting it right first time. Because it that's actually all about customer experience. If mm. if the person comes on and they leave with a solution, very positive experience, retention, referrals, and it builds a consumer network. So so then when we went back to the executives, we were like, look. With, with our particular platform, right? There's a way where we can connect. So what they wanted was the 4,000 contractors to be plugged into to the 5,000 full-time employees, but also to remain separate in a, in a different environment, right? So it's like they were in two different workspaces, but there were channels going across. Yeah, you can do that in Slack, that's awesome. Do you, do you know what, Brian? I'm just like,
0: I've got so many questions. I feel like I don't want to interrupt you because you're just like on a roll, I've got so many questions. Do you know what I just keep thinking about? I'm like, how many reps get the opportunity that you might have had at the start of the deal? And they do get that executive meeting and they are finger in the air, blowing their whatever, their POV or their thing. And do you know what was also important? Once you got that strategic goal about what the investors cared about, like drilling, drilling, drilling in your discovery down four hours worth of discovery to get to the point where... You know, probably maybe even on the third hour, you finally have got this like ridiculous challenge that they're facing. And you're like, there it is. And yeah. you've got you've got the strategy of the business. You've got the initiative, this um, initiative as well to try and solve it. And you've got the baseline challenges. And there's the business case. You take that back to the C-suite and they probably turned around and went, send us the sign." Yeah, I
1: mean, it wasn't. Uh, it, it took a bit more time, but it was Far, um, like the 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 key thing about that entire use case, right, was not only did it give us, it basic it, our biggest competition in that deal was was probably ourselves, which you'll get in PLG companies, right, um, because it was the why don't we just stay the same? Do you know yeah, that yeah. argument? But because we needed these four thousand contractors to be in a separate environment but to plug into the main environment, they needed an extra workplace a, a workspace which was only available on the grid product. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we had this like productivity use case,
0: but nice. also
1: the absolute silver bullet was your hook. this extra workspace needed to be guided or guarded with security provisions that were also only available on the grid platform. So we had nice. both. We now had the security use case. We had the productivity use case and we were now able to basically leverage customer stories and the use cases that we were going to implement in this environment to actually do our ROI calculations as well and show them how much they could save.
0: Love that, and as well, I'm gonna interrupt you. So not only did you have your business case, could you talk to us and give us some tactical advice about how you leverage customer case studies to back up your business case?
1: Yeah, so I, I always found it difficult, right? That transition between how do I go from talking about my product sorry so you start with the customer right you start with the customer's problems and you're trying to find a solution right but what i did at the start of my career was i go i i have your problems here's my product and this is how it's going to solve all that right but i was always like there's definitely something in between there that you can kind of use as a segue which is just Mm -hmm. a bit smoother because i feel once you go into the product you're never coming back out of it right so my strategy is always learn about what you can fix, listen to the customer, dig deep. Then you go to customer stories because the the customer stories is actually the glue between your product and the customer, right? Because you can say, okay, I understand your problem. X customer also had a very similar problem. They implemented our product in this way and they seen these results. Now I'm going to show you exactly how, how they did it. Now a really good way of, I think Slack was really well set up for it, right? So we had a channel within Slack. That anytime somebody would close like a large deal, they'd write out like a huge write-up on it, right? And like all the details, all the use cases, who was who's was involved, etc. Right. So it was it was quite easy, right? If if I wanted to figure out who else has leveraged this use case that I need in the past, I literally just went in and i just keyword search, you know, e-commerce, customer satisfaction, and it'd bring up like a customer who had already done this. And then you would also have like They'd be like, we engaged with their CTO, who was pivotal as an exec in this deal. And then I'd be like, perfect. The AE is there, because they've just done the write-up. So I just ping them, and I'm like, hey, um, can, would, would I be able to introduce that particular executive to the executive on my deal so we can map them? And it would just bl- like blow the deal open. Because then you're not, you're not the one that's doing the selling anymore. It's not even your executives. It's actually people who have already been through the journey and implemented these specific use cases.
0: I've never, ever, ever thought about doing that. Me neither, I feel so stupid um, to
2: not read other people's win reports.
0: Yeah, it's just, (laughs) I think working in large companies, you get so many, but especially these big deals and stuff like that, you know, I even tell in my own talk tracks, like, you wanna go and listen back to calls, but like, I'm sure Brian, you know, being a top rep in multiple companies, when new reps join, they probably wanna go and listen back to the calls that you have. And in some of these like monumental deals, I couldn't even imagine how much extra value is there are in all of these win reports of all of these big deals and finding all these probably champions now as the products have evolved
2: something quite unique to slack in that instant though is because it's in a slack channel which is really easy to access and really easy to keyword search i don't use like sorry to any to map our friend seismic to find content i don't use seismic or scratchpad or any of that I just go into slack because i know somebody's already shared it in slack once i know it's in one of my channels i know i just need to search it i know me and you have had a conversation about it last week jack we don't even work at the same company so i just literally slack you and it was there I'm like, it's far richer database of information than the crm or the marketing content that gets shared in those other like repositories so that is a very very useful use case did you yeah anyway sorry brian we interrupted
1: again mate you're on a roll um but yeah, that was the, the, the key thing, I suppose, was that that was there beforehand. So like when I joined Slack, that channel was there. But I think it's just about knowing to utilize it, you mm-hmm. know, and and yeah, being able to bring the customer use cases to life by actually just having the person to speak to them rather than like sharing a PDF or something like that. Like for me, the, the probably the biggest learning of that entire deal was it's just like you've like a thousand brains in a company that can help you to to fix the problem for the customer like you shouldn't just think it's like you or it's you and your csm and your uh solutions engineer it's like for instance when we actually when we after discovery when we realized that there was a shift away from the volume of tickets being solved to the actual getting this right first time uh only two weeks later i was on our sales kickoff so that was virtual and there was a lady sabrina Derby. i remember her name she she actually was just demoing how, demoing like five or six different use cases for engineering with Slack and was like, okay, like one of the use cases was like gamification, right? And I was like, this, for what they're trying to achieve, this is absolutely perfect, right? So I just got straight on to her after the call and I was like, that demo, I was like, can you please just do maybe half of that for for a head of engineering in this company? And I was like, it'll just be, it, it, it's not that all of it's going to resonate but it'll be such a great ideation session that it'll just really bring this thing to life and like i think they they took like four of the use cases um, and what we actually did was which i i really I, I was delighted i did by the end of that deal we got the use cases so we d- we did that demo uh we chopped the use cases up so each of them chopped them up to like a five minute clip um from the live recording and then we'd like when we'd done our final deck for the executives we would like have the use the have the use case have where it was implemented before have a little blurb of like somebody talking about you know what it meant for them and then we'd be like watch video on use case so it was like chopped down into digestible chunks for the executives so they could just click in and be like oh that's what it would look like for us
2: mm-hmm. well I love about that as well is there's something to be said about like the choreography of a meeting with a head of department or a head of or a c suite at all like, it's really hard to it, until you get to that point, there's not a lot of managers out there who can give you really great coaching on how to actually go in here and how to write that email and how to segment it, how to make it easy to digest, how to make this conversation flow. It's like something that you're supposed to almost know naturally. But like I don't know, I just love that tip there about just like chop it up, make it really digestible and don't even say you have to watch it. Just put, click here if you want that type of thing. Those are the types of like segues that make you look like you respect people's time and so on and so forth. Can you give us a little bit more of an insight into how the deal then came to the end? Well, this is the bit that we, obviously, that as salespeople we love, but you just mentioned previously before that this wasn't even one that made you particularly that happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I mean, look, closing it made me happy. Uh, It was just the day it was closed. I was like, I thought I'd be a bit more excited than this, which is (laughs) strange, you know? But uh, no, uh, look, towards the end, I think think what I was very happy about on this one was that, like, I always believed that the urgency comes from the client side, right? So it's like, find out, so for, for us, We knew that was the public readiness and that security piece and the fact that the investors had concerns around the um the uh retention of the customers because we were like if basically we were able to build a business case where we're like if this continues for another two years this is where your business is going to be and this is what it's going to look like to the investors So, so we were like this is this is kind of urgent right um we we the negotiations were difficult like if there's one mistake I made on this deal was that I probably got procurement in a bit too late on it. And typically I do try to get procurement in as early as possible. I, in, When I was in recruitment, I recruited four procurement professionals. So I always have that kind of bit of rapport with them early mm-hmm. days. I spoke to them for like two years at the start of my career, you know, uh, but this one I left it a little bit late. I thought because we had the C-suite that procurement would yeah. not really be um, involved, but procurement came in and then they're doing their thing and they see the price and that's there and they want, you know, they want more. Well, look, I, I said to procurement, I was like, I understand you have a job to do here and we're, we're going to allow for, for a little bit of wiggle room. And and I said, the deal that's in front of you now, I was like, it's going to be available. I'm not going to do this thing where it's like end of quarter, end of year or whatever. Right. I was like, this deal will be available in about six months. Right. I don't think we'll get it for next quarter, but I, I, I do think we'll have flexibility halfway through next year. I was like, the, but the reason I think you should do it now is because, and then I would I would map out in bullet points basically, you know, around the investors, around the productivity use case, around how the engineering team are working at the moment, around how long the services team will need to actually implement this, and then I I also kind of showed them the picture of what this means if we were to do it in six months time rather than now. So basically, I was like, look, that there's the deal. As I said, it's it's going to be available in a bit of in in a few months, but like. It, it's urgent for you, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I love uh, that. so you know so we're serious. we're not going to chase you around too much. Now, obviously, I was still checking my phone every thirty seconds, you know. <laughs> and there, there's there's yeah, like yeah. a mask you have to put up to. Yeah, yeah, there's two sides of that face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm completely comfortable with, when whenever this happens, you know. But like, I think. Definitely that helped me a lot in the negotiation to understand exactly why it was 100%. urgent for them early in the, in the sales cycle, because you just can't get that late in the sales cycle because they're too guarded at that point. They don't want to give anything away. And uh, you'll find that out from, you know, the C-suite, your head of engineering, your champion, but you're not going to get that from procurement. No, 100%. Uh,
2: so it's such a valuable point to note there, like do the work, do the legwork of the foundations of the deal early on and it pays dividends towards the end. Yeah, for sure. Everything comes out in the wash, man. If you've if you've cheated the system, or if you've cut any corners, or if you've gamed anyone, it comes out at the end. There procurement will find out, but you just like you've held your nerve. So
1: yeah, we. Uh, I remember when I start. I actually learned like so much about selling when I started in recruitment. Like, mm. there is so many lessons that I just picked up back then that I still use. But I remember in my first onboarding, uh, there was like this absolute like best best recruiter we had globally who who ran the session i I nearly remember every word from the onboarding and i like and i've been through training since where i haven't retained as much but this everything she said was just excellent and um she said you know if if you're thinking about a question to ask a client and it, it makes your stomach almost feel sick you're so you're like i really don't want to ask that question because i could blow the deal or whatever right she was like ask it straight away she's like it's the question that you're uncomfortable about asking is the question that you just need to ask immediately, you know? And I think that that that's something that stayed with me in terms of qualifying all these deals. It's like, you know, you're getting halfway through a process with a large deal, and you're you can you can ask the question like, if you mm. don't do this now, what's the impact? You know? And then sure. start to get you you don't want to ask that halfway through because you're still selling at that point. And yep. and there's like such a strange balance in sales because for the first half of a deal, you should be like really enthusiastic and try to make things that don't even seem tangible you have to make them tangible by your excitement and your optimism but then kind of halfway through that deal you have to like shift the focus from this is this is why i think they'll buy to then shift the focus to this is why i think they won't you know no, and so it, true. you, and you
2: communicate that to the customer as well yeah like, this is why you have to be careful about buying this and it's like hang on yeah, a yeah. minute <laughs>
1: you're, finding, you're, you're going from finding the reason that they are going to do the deal to then shift to finding the reason why they won't do the deal and yeah. That's a strange experience for the customer as well, right? <laughs> because they're like, well, You I mean, a deal like,
0: review is like just thinking about deal reviews, you're like almost explaining why this is a deal, why you have like there is like, look, this is the reason why they buy. And then at the end of the cycle, you're like, these are the reasons why they don't buy. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and, this is my nice
0: flags. Because you look like an idiot if
1: you're like, they're definitely gonna buy. And you're not you wanna pick holes in it, right? And I think that's where your value is as an AE after you've more experience. Like let's say you spend like, you know, a good few years in the company and you're like by by year four you're probably like well I've seen this all before and I know why this won't happen and and that's that's where you're valuable to to your employer you know um but yeah so, yeah. so you,
2: the deal closed Brian and, and it just didn't wasn't as satisfying as you thought that that's really uh, I don't think that's that unique I think a lot of sales people experience that it's like you put in so much work not just sales people probably people in business in general like you put in so much work you think there's like this nirvana state on the other side of it and you get there and you're like not as fulfilling as I wanted it to be, although I am satisfied. Is it? Is that a good way to summarize it?
1: Yeah, like it, there was just such a build-up. Like, you know, I remember being away on holidays and I was just like in the hotel lobby at like 1am trying mm. to get legal to change this one word over in the US. Mm. And, you know, you were just like, you were like, come on, like, when is this ever going to happen? And you start mm-hmm. to imagine in your head, you're like, I'm going to be so happy when this deal happens. Like, I can start my life again. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. everything's just to the gym again. Own. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and then... I suppose it, I closed it and I was just sitting there and I was like, that's wh- where's the next one? <laughs> like yeah, it's nice. just immediately. And it was interesting because I, I, I kind of thought back then. And I was like, I was like, what does make me happier about sales? Like, you know, after that, I was like, God, if I'm not getting the buzz off this, like what, why am I even in this game for? And I was like, thinking back to like probably the best day I've had in sales was when I was, I was over, I was in LinkedIn. I was over in London. And I had done like four meetings back to back that day and came back. I was like staying in a hotel and I came back and I was like just doing up all the emails and the follow ups and stuff like that. And I was having a pint. And I was just relaxing after a tough day. And then I remember like in the space of about five minutes, two deals of my pipeline had said no and fell out. And then three other emails had come in and been like, great presentation today. We're going to bring it to the team X, Y, Z. And I was just like, I just love this game. Yeah. <laughs> like, there it is, there yeah. is. It's the chase. It's always yeah. about the chase. Yeah. It's yeah. all about the chase, true. isn't it?
0: And do you know what, Brian, when you're talking about this, I was actually thinking, like, in the successful years that me and Jack have had, you know, you finish that, you have your big hurrah on the 31st of January or whatever, 31st of December, or whatever, or probably 16th of December if you have it. And then you're like, back to zero. Yeah. And again. And it's like, you know... It's constantly, and I feel like when I speak to reps that even do like more transactional sales, and they're month to month, and then it's like smash 150 percent of your month or quarter quota, and then bam, you're in your first and your manager meeting. And you're like, "Where's your pipeline for the month?" And you're like, yeah. "Shit,
2: no celebration, the, then is it?" I know. Yeah. I love the game. I know what you yeah, mean. I love the game. That. It's like it's also funny. The at the beginning of the month or the quarter or the year, the wins are like. Oh my God, they get, I got good feedback from the presentation. Yeah. Or yeah. Oh my God, I got an introduction to somebody else. And then at the end of the deal, you're like, oh my God, we got that red lines back and there's no edits. Like, we're, we're going to go ahead and we're gonna, they're going to do one final review. Like, the, the things that give you the buzz change dramatically depending on the season or the quarter.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, I think the great thing about sales is like a, a lot of us are just in love with the process, do you know, and, and we're kind of fooled into thinking we're, we're we're all about, you know, chasing the deal and getting the clothes or whatever, but it's actually the process that kind of makes you happy, do you know? I, like uh, I have this
0: really like fucked up thing where if I get a no, I'm like, this is where the fun begins.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, this is the good thing. <laughs> I like the, the nose is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to say like, oh no, I don't think you do this.
2: You know, yeah. Simmons used to say to me, um, when you think it's all over, that's when it's just getting started. Yeah. Basically our motto.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know what, Brian, we're going to wrap it up there, but awesome, learned a lot, wicked seller. Looking forward to seeing where you go, or where you continue your career, and you're definitely going to go to a lot of places you already have. So thanks so much for giving us your time.
2: Yeah, just to add to that, Brian, you are, you speak very clearly about how you execute, and I think that's a very unique skill. I think if and when you become a sales manager and you're hiring, let me know. <laughs> I'd, I'd love the chance to work with you, mate. So yeah, thanks very much for joining us. That was pretty, really valuable.
1: No worries, lads. And I, look, really appreciate uh, you having me on um, and I wish you all the best with the podcast. Um, maybe, my, maybe my best memory in sales now will be uh, the day I was on the Big Deal podcast. Yeah. You <laughs> are the first
2: terrible. person who said that, mate. <laughs>
1: cool, thanks, Brian. Excellent. Keep, Brian.